This webcast is for informational purposes only. The content provided does not constitute medical advice or diagnosis, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The opinions and information provided during the webcast are for informational and discussion purposes only. We do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, adequacy, or currency of the content provided. This webcast is not a substitute for professional psychological or medical treatment, advice, assistance, or services. Should you or a family member need help with any of the matters discussed during the program, please contact a competent, licensed professional for assistance. Hi, this is Dr. Merrill, and welcome to Caught Between Generations, the show for caregivers. If you're caring for anyone, a child, grandchild, parent, spouse, even an adult child, then you are a caregiver, and this is your one-stop shop for information and resources that will hopefully bring you a greater degree of peace and comfort. This week's show has to do with food, so I want you to take a minute, assuming you're not driving, and just close your eyes. Picture yourself standing in line at a grocery store or the drugstore. What do you see? You know it's the holiday season because you're surrounded by candy and by magazines. And the magazines are all showing pictures of turkeys and pies and cookies. 101 ways to make sugar cookies. Foolproof ways to make a delicious pie. And it just goes on and on and on. Now close your eyes again. Open them. And now all of those same magazines will be talking about how to lose those 10 to 15 pounds you gained over the holidays eating their 101 ways to make sugar cookies and their foolproof pie, right? It's a bad cycle. So we're going to discuss some ways to enjoy your holidays, not feel deprived and not be angry at yourself following the holiday. Today's guest is Kelly Schmidt. Kelly is a registered dietitian and author of Primal Eating and the Paleo Diet. Now, Kelly is an interesting woman because not only is she a mom, but she's also a type 1 diabetic, which means she has had diabetes for a long time since she's been a juvenile. So she really, really knows what it's like to live with a disease like that, a chronic disease, and also have to control what you're eating. Kelly has helped hundreds of people, both remote and in-person, with one-on-one counseling, touring grocery stores, hosting corporate wellness programs. She's done speaking engagements, writing, interview, and she's done it for well-known outlets such as Men's Fitness, Glamour.com, Self, DiabetesSisters.org, Today's Dietitian, and more. Welcome, Kelly Schmidt. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be um, here with you today to discuss uh, some various nutrition topics. Oh, so I'm very, very curious. The paleo diet sounds like I ought to like run out and kill a bear or something. So, so what is it? The paleo diet, I guess, if you were to define it um, specifically, it would be categorizing um, a black and white list of foods that you can eat and can't eat. And those that you can eat are the obvious ones, such as meat, that you probably the thought you have in your mind, um, as well as seafood, nuts, seeds, um, fruits, and vegetables. And then it would disclude obvious groups such as grains, cereals, dairy, um, and inflammatory fats, such as the man-made ones like canola oil, soybean oil, um, and so forth. So that's it, uh, the paleo diet in a nutshell. But obviously, it's so much more than that, in, in my biased opinion. 
So what makes it work? Why do you think the paleo diet is is a good diet to be on, a good way of eating? I think it's a good diet um, because it includes a lot of food, even though it just sounds like I discluded a lot of things that people are eating every day and every meal. But it includes really satiating foods such as the nuts and um, the grass-fed and high-fat protein sources. So there's a sense of satiety when people transition to eating this way. Um, It also involves people to become more savvy in the kitchen or have a bigger appreciation for food and become more foodie-like in their decisions of what they eat. So there's a relationship change as well as the transition of choosing what to eat. Um, And people feel really good on it. I think that's the, the biggest thing that makes the diet popular and that people are cutting out the gluten and overall grains, period. And they're either losing weight or just gaining better energy, better digestion, um, maybe symptoms from a certain chronic disease or auto autoimmune disease are decreasing. So it's the overall success of how people are doing on this way of eating that is making it popular. So how is this diet different, let's say, than the Atkins diet, which also has a lot of, you know, meat on it, a lot of protein on it? Sure. Um, It's, it has some similarities, um, but it also has some big differences. And my question to you is, is what, What's the Adkin diet, Adkins diet you're, you're asking me to compare? Is it the thought that everyone thinks that breakfast is bacon and lunch is a burger and dinner is a pot roast? Um, the difference there is I'd like to think the paleo diet has one big myth and that a lot of people it's very protein focused, but in reality, three-fourths of the plate or more is produce. So it's a very high produce diet with some protein in it. That's interesting. I didn't realize. So when you say three quarters, three quarters of it is produce. I mean, give me an example. What would the what would the dinner plate look like? Absolutely. I can um, give you an example of what I ate for lunch today. Um, so for lunch, I had some rotisserie chicken. So picture on an eight inch plate. I had three fourths of my plate covered up with rotisserie chicken, and the rest on my plate was I had sweet potato, roasted carrots, and Brussels sprouts. And that sounds like a very glamorous lunch, but it was leftovers I pulled from the night before and the night before that. Um, So I had plenty of produce there. So you can have, when you say no grains, you know, potatoes are okay on the paleo diet? They are. When um, Lauren Cordain first wrote the paleo diet book, um, gosh, I want to say it was decades ago. I'd have to look up the exact year. He was a little more strict or disclude things like white potatoes. Um, so white potatoes, I guess, would be a gray area of food, but a lot more people are accepting of those in the paleo diet, um, myself included. So things like sweet potatoes or little red skin potatoes, those things are fine. Absolutely. And yams and um, I love plantains. That's a very high carb um, uh, produce um, as, as well as all root vegetables. So there's been a lot in the news lately about meat and meat being a cause of cancer. Um, what's your feeling about that? You're a registered dietitian. I mean, do you agree? Do you disagree? Have you looked at the research? Um, I've, I've looked at the research. I, I would say when I first opened my practice, I lived overseas from 2010 to 2012 in Australia. And I'm mentioning this because a lot of their meat and seafood and everything is all grass-fed and wild. And it was just such a distinguishment to what we have present here today. Um, But when I came back and opened my practice, the same study that 
came out about a week or two ago, the same data was very similar to when I opened my practice. So I looked at it much more thoroughly then than now because the the news is just, in a sense, regurgitating information that's already out there. Um, what I think with it, though, is should people stop eating red meat and be very nervous about, you know, the recommendations of, of having, you know, meat daily, red meat daily. Um, I think there's two clarifications. One, the data collected is observational. It's not saying, um, it's correlation, not causation. It's an observation that those who had a higher serving of red meat, um, had an increase in cancer, but there's a bazillion other variables in that data that we're not nitpicking as well. So the, the data is a little flaky, so it's nothing to, I guess, stop us in our tracks to make us stop eating red meat. Um, but the bigger factor is the quality of red meat that people are eating. That wasn't considered. So conventional red meat, say I'm having a burger and I have a grass-fed burger and then I have a conventionally red meat beef burger. The grass-fed beef is going to be, it's, it's incomparable. It's comparing apples to oranges or it's comparing apples to an apple sucker um, because the nutritional value in the two things are, are just drastically different. So there's a lot of misnomers and misconceptions with what the news was covering in that. But if, if I can just take that one step further to give your readers some more information and, and thought on this is comparing the conventional beef to the grass-fed beef. The grass-fed beef can have enough omega-3 fatty acids, that's the healthy fats in it, to be comparable to that of salmon. And many people wouldn't think that, but with the grass-fed beef, a cow that's healthy, that's eating things it's naturally meant to eat, um, the nutritional profile is just drastically better and, and good for us and can help heart health where the conventional beef could be something that could harm us. So when we're talking about grass-fed beef, I assume we're talking about beef that where there's no antibiotics, no hormones, nothing has been basically added to that diet. Correct. And it's, it's coming from a cow that eats grass, obviously, um, where a cow that eats um, either soy or corn feed, their stomachs aren't designed for that. So often they get sick and that's why the hormones are injected into the cow and so forth to basically keep the cow alive to become our food. Actually, I didn't know that's why they injected the hormones and the antibiotics. That's interesting. 80% of our antibiotic goes to livestock, which is appalling. That is appalling. So does that include chickens, by the way, as well, poultry? Yes, yes, they, they would be injected with hormones too. Okay, so on the paleo diet, what can I drink? I'm, am I drinking only milk? Can I have a glass of wine? What can I drink? Yeah, um, it's, of course, the obvious things you can drink, such as coffee, herbal teas, tea, um, waters. Um, a lot of my clients love the fizzy mineral water. That's a good transition if you're trying to stop soda. Um, so water's an obvious. Um, you can have alcohol, um, and I guess it can come from what expert you're talking to, where alcohol can fit. Number one, it would definitely need to be something that's gluten-free, so it would avoid the things that are made out of, um, you know, barley or um, I'm trying to think what beers are made out of. It's been so long since I've drank beers. Um, so beers would not be included, but the wines would be. Dryer would be better. Um, the liquors, uh, vodka, tequila, those would be acceptable. Um, yeah. Okay, so I want to let you know now that the guys in the in the studio are now cheering in the booth. 
<laughs> they just I'm they, now accepted. That's right. They love you. They they now know they can have tequila and whatever else. They're just so happy. They have no idea what to do with themselves. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. So, when I'm on the paleo diet, can can I lose weight on that diet? Absolutely. And the thing is, if you look at the research, if anyone takes just their normal eating um and tries to to focus on eating better, regardless if it's low fat, paleo, low carb, Atkins, whatever it is, you're most likely going to lose weight. As long as you're putting in an effort, paying attention to what you're eating and listening to your satiety, you're going to lose weight. So my answer is yes. But if you look at the research, you're going to lose weight if you try on anything. Long term, however, um, I would find the paleo diet most successful because when you eat real food, when you're eating the healthy fats and the protein, you're working in accordance with your hormones, including your insulin and your leptin and ghrelin, your satiety cues. Um, you can work better with your circadian rhythms. So long term, you're going to be you're going to be helping yourself more versus you know cutting down on fat and other diets. So 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 the guys are real happy because they're over there drinking tequila and they're just real happy. <laughs> but I'm like unhappy because I from what I've read, if I what I read is correct, is I can't have one of my favorite things, which is lentils. Lentils. So this is how I would accept that. Let's say you're a client and you're like, I, I can go with this eating real food thing, but what about lentils? That's where I would say, you know, give the paleo template, the list of foods, eat those things for a certain number of weeks. Ideally, two to three would be the minimum. And then try your lentils and see how they make you feel. If you feel great on them and you're not having indigestion, you're not having brain fog, um, you know, have at it. Make that part of your paleo template. Being paleo, eating paleo isn't necessarily the strict black and white list. It's using the foods as an outline and knowing what works best for you. And, and that's where I recommend clients to go to use the program from. So when I'm on the paleo diet, do I have to take supplements? Um, no, no, you don't have to take supplements, but they are something depending what your goals are, what your background, your health history, it might be something I would recommend for clients, but it's not, it's not necessary because you can get so many nutrients from a lot of the superfoods mentioned in paleo, such as cod liver oil, um, organ meat, um, uh, grass-fed butter, you're going to get your vitamin K2 there, some vitamin D, um, which is harder to get in other foods. And you may, in your mind, I'm jumping ahead, but you might be thinking, well, vitamin D is in, in milk, Kelly, but yes, it's fortified. Um, it's synthetic and um, you want natural sources such as the superfoods I mentioned. So Kelly, as a registered dietitian, is there Anyone who you feel as though would not be appropriate for this diet that you would say to them, I really don't recommend this way of eating for you? Yeah, um, really good question. There's a small population that I would I would think would not be right for this program, but I also would think this same small population would be right for any um, strict diet, um, and that would be those with an eating disorder where they're using the disclusion of cereals, grains, dairy, et cetera, just to cover up an orthorexia of eating, trying to eat perfectly or trying to under eat or cut calories just because using, using that as the excuse. But that would be the only population that comes to mind where, you know, those I have clients with cancer, low thyroid, diabetes, myself included, I'm type one. Um, even those pregnant where the paleo template couldn't be anything better for them. 
But you just used another term, ortho... Orthorexia. Yes. Okay. So why don't you explain that to us? Sorry. I'm just throwing these words around. That, like that's all right. That's okay. We're going to learn today. It's, you know, yeah. it's like being on Jeopardy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of us know the word anorexia and that's um, medical terminology, basically lack of eating. Um, so the word ortho means straight, rexia is eating. So straight eating and it's the desire or obsession to eat perfectly. And it's, it's quite a common, becoming a much more common eating disorder today where people are, you know, consumed by eating perfect breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks in perfect amounts. And that's what I would term as orthorexia. So when you say perfect, I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean in terms of portion control? What does that mean? It can be a different thing to, um, to whatever Gosh, I don't want to call someone an orthorexic, someone with orthorexia. Um, it could be different things. It's whatever their strict rules are for themselves, whatever they think is perfect. So it could be quantity. It could be ingredients. It could be, I'm afraid to go out to dinner with my friends tonight because it's not going to be a grass fed beef or there's not going to be organic free range chicken. And I'm just going to, I feel like I might die if I eat that, you know, um, corn fed chicken breast. That, that would be a sign of orthorexia. That's interesting. I had not heard that term before. Um, so you just said you were a type 1 diabetic. So yeah. obviously it seems then the paleo diet is okay for someone who is diabetic. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. It, yeah, Absolutely. And a lot of people are having huge success on it, my, myself included, obviously. Um, and I didn't always eat paleo, I might add in. Um, in 2009, I went to a conference and long story short, doctors gave me some insight and I was telling them about my labs and my history and being a dietitian that I quote unquote eat super healthy. And they told me to take gluten on my diet and I did. And um, first I had some apprehension. I was like, that's paralyzing. I already watched my carbs. I watched my sugar. You want me to cut out gluten? I was like, no way. But I was like, what do I have to lose? So I did it. And after I did that, like I'm getting emotions right now just telling you the story, I, I felt so good. My energy was unexplainable. And when people said, oh, yeah, I feel good, like I thought I reached a whole new level and really understood what that meant. Um, and that was the beginning of my paleo journey. Um, but for once, as a type 1 diabetic, I really, and still today, can predict my blood sugar so easily versus before when I was eating gluten, it was a slight roller coaster where I would test my blood. If I was high, I would correct. I would eat. I would go high. I would correct. So it was just... A bad relationship with food, and now um, it's it's just predictable and much more more seamless and easier. So let's talk about easier then. So am I? If I decide to go on the paleo diet, am I homebound? I mean, what do I do about eating out? Oh, absolutely not. Good question because I'm sure again a lot of your listeners are thinking the same thing. Um, first, I'll empathize. When I lived overseas, I was basically a software consultant. My credentials weren't recognized in Australia, unfortunately. So I. Um, practice some sales work. And I was on the road sometimes three weeks at a time. Um, so I completely understand how hard it is to be on the road and have to eat whole world food all the time um, in reality. So if you're busy, you don't have to be homebound. It's just being able to be somewhat of a detective and being able to navigate a a, a menu. And, you know, it, things may not be labeled gluten-free or paleo on there. I mean, highly doubtful they'd be labeled paleo, but it's just knowing, okay, what protein source do I want? What sounds good? And then from there, figure out what other types of produce you can ask to have to fill your plate. So if I'm out to, to, to say I'm going to a pub somewhere that's, you know, very casual, 
Um, the worst case, you could ask for a chicken and some, or excuse me, a salad with grilled chicken on top of it. And then a side of olive oil for your dressing as a lot of dressings are soybean or canola based. Um, so that's an easy go-to or, you know, another restaurant is just ask for a burger without the bun and ask for some sort of vegetable instead of the fries. Um, because the fries are obviously loaded with, um, uh, unhealthy fats. So when I was when I was researching this and looking at this, one of the things I found interesting is that olive oil was all right unless you're cooking with it, and I didn't understand that. So I think um, I think I know where you're going, or maybe what you read. So there was a huge controversy in the last year. It's become more clear on many more experts' websites, but there's. Um, a lot of apprehension in people cooking with olive oil because the heat could change the structure of that fat. However, studies have shown that um, the fat is not inflammatory with heat. So when I first opened my practice in 2012, I'd say you can use butter, you can use ghee, you can use coconut oil for cooking, but olive oil, just keep that cold. Don't keep it. Don't, don't allow it to hit heat, but um, it's actually, it's perfectly fine if heated. Kelly, thank you. I was so upset when I read that because I love to cook <laughs> with olive oil. Yeah. And I thought, oh, darn. Oh. Here's another thing out the window. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I appreciate it. So my last question has to do with it's holiday time, you know, and it's always a problem for everyone, regardless of how you eat. All right. So how do you handle, you know, being on the paleo and Thanksgiving and all these holidays coming up? Sure. So for Thanksgiving, um, I mean, my family, I mean, everyone's family is different, but I usually volunteer to bring something. So that's tip number one is, is there an opportunity where you can bring something that you can eat and fits within your guidelines? Um, so let's say for Thanksgiving, I already volunteered. I'm, I'm bringing sweet potatoes. So I'm going to dice up some sweet potato with coconut oil and some salt and throw it in a slow cooker because we're going to have a, a household of about 40 people. So it's, it's big and easy. So that's my plan. And then the turkey is usually straightforward. Um, some families may stuff it with stuff it with stuffing. So there might be some cross contamination with gluten, but there's so many gluten free folks in my family that our turkey is just going to be basic turkey. So I know I can eat the the meat and I can eat the the thing I'm going to bring along. So um, I, I should be fine if that's the only thing I can eat, but there are going to be other things I can. Um, besides those two tips is also don't go starving. You don't want to show up at a place where you're not sure if you can eat anything and be famished. So have something before you go to that family event if you don't want to ruffle any feathers or, or cause any tension in changing up the menu. So actually, I do have one last question because you said something that perked my interest. So can I assume that if something is gluten-free that it it's acceptable in the paleo diet? A good question. Um, no, but it, it removes a lot of processed things. So I'm going to jump a little around here. So when I have a client going out to eat, I say, ask for the gluten-free menu first. And that doesn't mean everything on that menu is going to be paleo, but it's going to remove a lot of the processed stuff. Um, it's very easy for restaurants or anything that's gluten-free to be completely processed corn or some gluten-free grain. Um, so no, they are not interchangeable, but something that is paleo will be gluten-free. But something that's gluten-free is not paleo, always paleo. Okay. Kelly, thank you so much. This has been a great interview and very, very informative. Um, how do people get in touch with you, read your blog, get a hold of your book? Yeah. Um, you can find me at Paleo Infuse. That's P-A-L-E-O-I-N-F-U-S-E-D.com. Um, and I have a private practice here in Chicago and counsel people in 
various ways. And um, as you mentioned, I do have a book. You can find that on Amazon. It's What's the Deal with the Paleo, Primal Eating and the Paleo Diet. Um, and yeah, I would love to hear from your listeners. That would be a, a true flattery. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. For many caregivers, food becomes the comfort that they seek, especially at the end of the day, when the people that we are caring for are either sleeping or resting. Thus, it doesn't matter whether it's the paleo diet, Atkins, Weight Watchers, or a plant-based diet. The real issue for many of us is the relationship between food and ourselves as caregivers. I used to describe my level of daily stress by the number of cookies that I might eat. So my day went all the way from a low-stress day, which meant, oh, only one or two cookies, to a high-stress day, ah, just eat the entire box. To further complicate the issue, I'm one of those people who actually enjoys eating, whether or not I am stressed. So how do you stop yourself from becoming unhealthy or staying unhealthy? If you've been reading my blog postings, you're aware that how you talk to yourself is an important first step to changing anything, and that includes your eating patterns. There's a big difference between saying to yourself in an angry tone of voice, I have to lose weight, I must get thinner. I mean, come on, let's face it. As a caregiver, we live a life filled with shoulds, we have to, we must. So what do you do? Try reframing. Try saying to yourself, I want to lose a little weight. I want to feel better. I would feel better if I was a little healthier. Just give it a try. This is Dr. Merrill. Thank you for listening to Caught Between Generations.